You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning, church. My name is Mark Kirkendall. I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus, and we are so glad you are here today, but we believe this, you are not here at all by accident or by chance, that we believe that before the foundations of the world, God knew you would be here, that I would be here today for this Resurrection Sunday. So in June of 1985, uh, I remember seeing something that I've never forgotten. I'm about 12 years old, and we went to Washington, D.C., saw all the monuments and Uh, toured buildings, all of the things that you would do there. But I remember walking out to Arlington National Cemetery. I've never seen anything like it. It is almost like the grass, I've never seen grass that green. Almost like they'd taken a permanent marker and colored every single blade. It, It was so pristinely cut, it's almost like they took a ruler and a pair of scissors. It was just unbelievable. Every tombstone was an exact match of the one to the right and the left. You stood out there, and they were in perfect alignment. I mean, you even look off horizontally, and they are in perfect precision. And I just remember seeing this and thinking how the much detail that someone had put into planning and making this happen. But then I look off in the distance, and there's a family at least that's what I'm assuming, gathered around this one particular tombstone. And I remembered thinking, we are seeing things very differently. You see, they were around a grave of a family member of one whose body laid there. They were coming to remember a husband and a father who gave his life to the service of his country and to his family. But for me, it was just another tombstone. It was just one in the the sea of thousands. But for them, it was someone they loved and someone that they missed. I mean, it's hard to think that that moment was almost a little over 30 years ago that I stood there. But I've thought about that family often. I imagine she took those kids there to visit their father's grave probably every time his birthday rolled around. I imagine that those children then took their children at times to see the grave of their grandfather. But the sad thing is, is that before long, that grave will not be visited. It will not take long. Generations will pass, and that grave, it'll just be another monument. Because no matter how important the battle, no matter how influential the person might be, as time passes, their accomplishments and the meaning behind what they've done, it loses its power. There's only one event in the course of history that has never faded and it never will and will always be as impressive and have as much importance as it does today. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, as air entered his lungs and his heart began to beat, the stone rolls away and the clock on the universe is reset and everything changes. So I'd love to ask you, how do you see the resurrection? 
Is the resurrection of Christ just something simply to remember, or is it the thing that brings your life hope and meaning? So to help us with this question, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 28. For our Good Friday service, we were in chapter 27 and looking at that traitor that experienced grace. So we're going to pick up at the very first part of Matthew. We'll see three major things today. First, we'll see the effects of the resurrection on a couple of women. We will then see what happens with the guards that are standing there. And then a mission that Jesus gives everyone that hears about this. So it begins in Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So Jesus is crucified on Friday. He lays in the tomb all day Saturday until Sunday morning when he rises again. And Matthew tells us that Mary of Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, they went to the tomb. So let me remind us about who this Mary is. Mary is from a town called Magdala. It's on the western side of the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Man, I was fortunate this past fall to be able to have lunch there. But the thing about this city is as they begin uncovering it, it is a city that was ridden with sin. In fact, no God-fearing Jew would say or claim to be from Magdala. And first we hear about Mary, it's where she's from, but in Luke chapter 8, she's one that is freed from demons at the command of Jesus. She then follows this man around, and almost every time that you see Jesus at a major crossroads, Mary of Magdala is there. We see her at the crucifixion, you see her at the resurrection. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, more than most of the disciples. She sat at his feet, she heard him teach, and she follows this man Jesus around. I mean, Mary becomes a faithful, a dedicated follower of Jesus. So we could say she knew this man well. She had experienced deliverance from demons. She watched miracle after miracle happen. She sat at Jesus' feet and under his teaching. So we can easily say that she loved Jesus. She was faithful to him. She knew him well. She would be someone you would run into. She would be all in for Jesus. In the words of DC Talk, she's a Jesus freak. That's who she is. But the other Mary is the mother of James. She's the sister of Jesus' mother. So she's the auntie of Jesus. So she knew Jesus well. She watched him grow up. Probably invited him over and he played in her house. Maybe you know, fed him and took care of him. I was going to say she spanked him, but no, she wouldn't have to do that. But she's his aunt. She knows him well. But notice what these two Marys are doing. It says they are going to see, it doesn't say Jesus, going to see the tomb. Meaning Mary was simply going to mourn. A lot like that family I saw in Arlington National Cemetery. That's what they were doing. They had no expectation that they're going to show up at the grave and Jesus will not be there. So even though they knew him well, witnessed miracles, heard him teach, even heard him say, death will not hold me, 
They still doubted. But Mary, they were not going expecting him to be alive. They went to mourn. But I want us to see what God does for them in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And for the, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. So you got five extraordinary things. You see an earthquake. You see the angel rolling the stone away. An angel that is like lightning, that it paralyzes these guards. What I want us to think about and notice two things about this. First of all, the doubt of these women. They had doubts. Even though they knew Jesus well, they were with him, they listened to him, they still doubted. But notice the angel never rebukes them. He only comforts them. In verse 5 he says, Do not be afraid. Come and see where he lay. The angel never rebukes them. So then what is God doing with these women? I think God is building in them something that one day will be able to crush any doubt that they have. Something has just happened, the resurrection, and they have no category for this. But God has a plan, and we'll see it unfold in just a moment. But second, have you ever thought about the two most magnificent things of all world history, of creation and the resurrection? No one witnesses them. You would think of the two biggest things God is ever going to do, that he would plant people there to see it. But he doesn't. And we're wondering, why would he not do that? Why would he not plant witnesses there? And I think it's this. I think it's because we all must start on equal ground. Meaning no one has an advantage in believing creation or the resurrection. We must all, starting with the Marys, accept it by faith. You have to accept that God created the world by faith. Accept that Jesus rose from the grave by faith. So if no one saw it, then how did the Marys come to then believe it? The Marys hear it from an angel. And this is God's plan. And what did the angels tell the Marys to do? To go and tell the disciples. And I love this. It says the women were full of fear and joy. And I've been able to witness this. Several years ago, we're living in Tyler, and we had taken the time and we planted a garden in our backyard. And it was a pretty, pretty big one for us, and, uh, but my wife has a fear. She has a grave fear of snakes. And so we're out in the garden, we're doing the things you do, pulling weeds and doing different things, and all of a sudden I hear a sound that I've never heard before in my life, and I pray I never hear it again. She 
sees the movement of a small little garter snake. She says it was big. I doubt that. And I'm telling you, I hear a sound, and then I swear she tiptoed across the tomato plants to higher ground. And man, there was fear. She believed that that snake was going to swallow her whole. But there is also, there was a joy of knowing, I have finally escaped its jaws of death. But so these women, there is fear, a reverence, but there is joy. But notice what happens in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. So I love this. Jesus just kind of walks up, strolls up to him, And it's, it's a very casual greeting. He just says, hey ladies. And he sets them at ease. And they take hold of his feet. And they worshiped. They recognized him for who he said he was. And here's what God does. He breaks through the darkness with light at creation. And he breaks through their doubt with the light of Christ. Nothing could have prepared them for this. And what you're seeing is that the resurrection turns the cross from a symbol of despair to a symbol of hope. And with these women, these two Marys, you see what happens when the resurrection grabs hold of you. But now Matthew takes us to another scene in verse 11. It's with those soldiers. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and they said, tell this to the people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him or we will take care of him and we're going to keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So they go to the chief priest and tell him, listen, this is what happened. You will not believe it. And they come up with a plan. And I love this. You have powerful soldiers. I mean, they're well-trained, they're fearless, they are feared among anyone. And just the beauty of an angel brings them to where they are paralyzed. So they call a meeting and say, what are we going to do? Come up with a plan and say, we're going to lie and say that the disciples came and took the body, that they overtook you guards. But no one will believe that, so tell them that you were asleep. Now imagine this. That in Jerusalem, it's not a huge city. That even before social media and Fox News, that news about a man that claimed to be God that was publicly crucified and put in a grave is no longer there. Word had to quickly spread. So this is the plan. This is the lie that they came up with. And it says that it's even been told today. And I'm really hoping, kind of in the, you know, the, the evil side of you know, my brain in the back, I'm really hoping that as the high priest is spreading this rumor, that at some point or another, Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, remember me. I just have to believe that he had to at one time feared of knowing he would be caught. But what we know from the other four Gospels, including Acts and Corinthians, that Jesus makes eight more public appearances to people. But Matthew, 
He's going to take us to one all the way up in Galilee, north of Jerusalem with the eleven. Look at verse 16. Now the eleven, they went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus, he's taking them back to the very place that Jesus began his public ministry. But remember, no one witnesses the resurrection. But now what we're seeing is God's plan of a chain of truth being established. Mary's, they heard it from the angels. The disciples, they heard it from Mary. And so what do we think is going to happen when Jesus gets with them? You see it in verse 17. Notice what happens. Some worshipped, but some doubted. And again, we see it happening. People that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw him perform miracle after miracle, heard him teach to even say, death will not hold me, some doubted. And then in verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, and I have wondered this, of all the things Jesus could have picked, he knows they're doubting, Jesus picks this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And I'm wondering, why would he pick that? What what is it about that comfort that he wants to give above anything he could have said? I think he's wanting to show his followers, listen, I've got this. I am in total control. Meaning there isn't anything you could ever come up with. That I, Jesus, do not have authority, ultimate authority over. Governments, business, industries, science, natural phenomenons, the planets, even our lives. And the greatest comfort that he could tell the disciples is I hold all authority on heaven and in earth. And what is interesting is that you would think of the biggest event the world has ever seen since creation. Why do they not just close up the book and stop their end on the high note? But all four Gospels, they continue. And let me show you Matthew's final scene. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think it's because no one witnesses the resurrection. That is because everybody must accept it by faith. But God is doing something. He doesn't just leave you to chance. He's building a chain. And it started with Mary's hearing it from the angels. The disciples hear it from Mary's. And the chain goes on and on and on to tell others. And God wants every single one of us to be a part of that chain of truth. But I know what you're probably thinking. How in the world? I mean, what what do I have to offer? I don't know enough. I've never accomplished much. I mean, nobody really cares what I have to say. Well, let me just quickly recap the people that God used at the very beginning of this chain that leads to you and to me. So first of all, you have Mary of Magdala. In John 20, Jesus approaches her and he says, Woman, why are you weeping? So we see her. She is sorrowful. She is completely distraught. Ten disciples in John 20, 
You know where he finds them? He finds them hiding in an upper room with the door locked. They're completely fearful. And then you remember Thomas, he's not even there. He finally shows up. He kind of draws a line in the sense of this. And I will not believe this until I put my fingers in the wounds. The ultimate doubter. He's even named after that. Peter. The one that pledged all allegiance that I'll be the one to stand at the last moment with him. He denies him. And Jesus finds him on the Sea of Galilee completely discouraged. Then there's James. I mean, James could not even accept his mother. Jesus couldn't give his mother to James because James did not believe. I believe James is there and he probably had to have thought, man, if anybody should have gotten it right, it was me that grew up with him. And I missed it. He had to have felt like he was unfit. Two men on the road to Emmaus, they're discussing what's going on. They're confused. In John chapter 21, Jesus goes to Peter and the others. And you know what he finds them doing? The only thing they know to do. He finds them fishing. And they are utterly powerless. They feel like they can't do anything else except fish. And then he appears in 1 Corinthians 15 to over 500 people. And you don't know one single name. I mean, that would be a group that we would think is insignificant because their names aren't even mentioned. So maybe you see yourself in one of these this morning. Your life is marked by fear, doubt. You might be sitting here utterly discouraged by the way your life has turned out. You may feel unfit unfit for almost anything. Maybe you're confused and you don't know which way to turn. Perhaps you feel powerless to change your circumstances. Or just think, man, I'm a, I'm a nobody in this world. Well, I want you to know that can actually be a pretty good place to be sometimes. Because it's at that place that you can look to Jesus and Him alone. Because He is the only one that can break through those just like He broke through the grave. But the amazing thing about all of these people And all of their fear, their doubt, their discouragement, feeling unfit, confused, powerless. God uses each and every one of them in this chain that leads to you and to me. So I think the truth is, is that no matter who you are, no matter what emotional state you might be in, your lack of knowledge or accomplishments, no matter your mistakes or your failures, regardless of your doubts, God wants to use you to build a foundation of faith in you. And then he wants you to be a part of that chain that says he is alive. And he promised that he will be with us through the end of this age and through all eternity. And so this is what I hope you would hear this morning. Is that the truth of a chain that is laid out before you. Because this is as simple as I know to put the message that Jesus gave his life for you and I to hear. We were born into sin. And not only do we sin, but we are sinful. We are dead because of our sin. And we are by that very nature children of God's wrath. We love the darkness and we hate the light. 
We are slaves to sin. And our hearts are like stone and there is no good thing that dwells in us. We are unable in each and every way to submit to God and to please Him. We are unable to accept the truth of the gospel. We are unable to come to Christ and to accept Him as Lord. But then came Jesus, who never gave in to sin. He shows us how to love the light and hate the darkness. He followed God the Father in perfect obedience. He endured the wrath that we deserved. And then He gives us the ability to believe and to accept the gospel. He came to you and to me since we could never come to Him. And He breaks the chains of slavery to sin and to Satan. And then He does something that He turns around and He gives us His perfect righteousness. And so here's how we often say it. Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I could never live. And He died the death that we deserved. And our hope is that sin and death could not Hold him. So Christ does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He rescues us. And that is Christianity. But it is so much more than just information to digest. It is even more than just something to know some facts about. It's a person to believe in. And then it's a hope to tell. And one day... All those that believe upon the name of Jesus will rise with him. That death will never have you. And so here's the truth about this man Jesus this morning. That you cannot be accepted by God without him. But when you receive Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection as your own, you cannot be unaccepted. So Christ was raised back to life as proof That you can sit here today and rest completely in the finished work of Jesus. There is nothing else you have to do to be accepted. And when you believe not only in what Jesus did, but you reach out and accept it as your only hope, then there is a rejoicing in heaven that we have no words to describe. You know, I've often thought about that family in Arlington National Cemetery. I can't imagine what it was like for them to hear that news that day that your husband has died, your father will never come home again. But one day, someone that loves you is going to receive that news. But I hope that when they do, when they think about you, they will be able to say, oh no, they are not dead. They have just started living. Because Christ rose, they will rise. So this morning, Believe that since Jesus Christ rose, that you will also rise. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.